0: Week in Health Law, the occasional podcast of record for the discussion of health law and policy. This episode was recorded on August 1st, 2019. i Nicholas Terry, a professor of law at Indiana University in Indianapolis. This episode was recorded at the annual meeting of the Southeastern Association of Law Schools during a panel reviewing the year in healthcare financing. This episode features a talk by Professor John Cogan from the University of Connecticut School of Law. Professor Cogan focuses his research and teaching on healthcare organizations and finance, health law and policy, federal health programs, health court fraud and abuse, and health insurance. In his talk, Professor Cogan discusses first Medicaid including expansion, work requirements and the latest court decisions, second Section 1557 and the proposed civil rights regulations, and third the DIOT against Azar case and the resultant contraceptive mandate MESS.
1: Hi, my name is John Kogan. My talk is going to cover three things today, uh, three areas. Medicaid, I'm going to talk about expansion, uh, partial expansion, work requirements, and the latest court decisions relating to those issues. I'm going to talk about um, Section 1557 related civil rights regulations that have been proposed by the Trump administration. And then uh, perhaps uh, my favorite part of the talk, the uh, Diat V. Azar case, the contraceptive mandate mess uh, from, from uh Texas. Before I get started, there's uh, one issue, or really one person, that sort of hangs over all of these issues, and that would be Judge uh, Reed O'Connor in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Not only uh, did he author an opinion that voided the ACA, uh, in which it, and it's upheld on review, all these issues are just gone. But he's also I- issued uh, a number of other decisions which relate to all of these issues. I don't know if you know much about Judge O'Connor since he has a a, a main role in this presentation, but uh, if you don't know very much about him, he's a a judge in Fort Worth. I don't know if you know anything about his courtroom or what goes on there, but after this presentation, you'll know a lot more about him. So my first uh, topic is Medicaid expansion. Uh, By way of recap or review, the Supreme Court in 2012 in uh, the NFIB case allowed states to opt out of Medicaid expansion, that is expanding Medicaid beyond to everybody up to 138% of FPL. uh, is no longer the needy poor, but all of the poor. Uh, To date, most states have expanded uh, Medicaid. 37 states and the District of Columbia have adopted a Medicaid expansion, uh, although three adopters, Utah, Idaho, and Nebraska, have not implemented uh, their expansion plans. 14 states have not adopted expansion. In the last year, uh, two adopters. Maine is a particularly Uh, interesting adoption. The uh, legislature in Maine initially uh, v- actually voted several times to expand their Medicaid program. It was those bills were vetoed by Governor Paul LePage. In response to that, there was a popular referendum uh, in the state, a ballot uh, by w- uh, an overwhelming number of Mainers uh, voted to expand Medicaid in full in 2017, effective 2018. Um, Governor LePage still did not expand the program. He, he ordered his, uh, his his administration not to do anything to expand the Medicaid Program. Medicaid remained uh, uh, unexpanded in Maine until January of 2018 when Paul LePage left office. Uh, One week later, the new governor put a Medicaid uh, expansion into place. If any of you are wondering where Paul LePage is now, he's now a bartender in Maine. In addition to general expansion, there's an interesting issue uh, going on with Utah right now called partial expansion. During the Obama administration, states that wanted to expand into Medicaid had to expand fully, they had to adopt all the requirements cover everybody up to 138% of FPL. Some states had suggested uh, Medicaid partial expansion covering part of that population. The Obama administration said, no, if you're going to expand, you need to expand fully. Well, the Trump administration changed uh, its perspective on Medicaid expansion. Utah asked for a partial expansion. They wanted to only expand up to 100% of FPL. They wanted to cap the number of people that they were going to cover. And like so many good states wanted to impose a work requirement. Initially, the Trump administration said yes to this in uh, in March. They told uh, Utah that uh, CMS <laughs> said they could uh, partially expand. But uh, about a week ago, the Trump administration changed its mind and denied the partial expansion in Utah. Now, uh, you might think, well, this is a good thing. They, The Trump administration wants as many people covered as possible, and a partial uh, expansion is no good. Well, that's not the reason why they denied it. Why did they, they deny it? Judge Reed O'Connor and the Texas U.S. case, yeah, they wanted to their position to be consistent with their position in this case, which is that the ACA is void. And if the ACA is void, there is no Medicaid expansion. The next issue uh, I wanted to talk about uh, before we move on is how has non-expansion hurt the Medicaid el- eligible population? There was a study that just came out about two months ago by uh, professors at the University of Michigan. They looked at uh, mortality and morbidity data related to um uh, Medicaid patients and looked at the populations of all the states, both those that adopted and those that didn't adopt, and their conclusion was very simple. Non-adoption of Medicaid expansion resulted in nearly 16,000 unnecessary deaths among the eligible Medicaid-eligible population in the states that didn't expand. Another issue I want to talk about with respect to Medicaid is Medicaid work requirements. In early 2018, the Trump administration announced it would allow states to impose work requirements as a condition of getting Medicaid benefits. Right now, six states have approved work requirements uh, that are not currently implemented. Seven states have pending waiver requirement uh, waiver applications to CMS asking for a work requirement condition on their Medicaid eligibility, and three states that had uh, approval to impose a work requirement are now enjoined. So the first two states involved were Kentucky and Arkansas. Kentucky was the first state to get approval for a work requirement in early 2018, just about a year ago, a little over a year ago, in June of 2018. Judge Bosberg of the D.C. District Court held that HHS had been arbitrary and capricious in approving the requirement for Kentucky because it failed to consider what would happen to the folks that were on Medicaid if they had to work. So he said it was arbitrary and capricious. So what he did was he issued an injunction and he sent back to to HHS to further consider the application and look at it uh, again. In June of 2018, Arkansas became the first state to impose work requirements. I'm sure you've all heard what happened between September of 2018 and December. December of 2018, 18,000 people in Arkansas lost their Medicaid coverage because of the work requirement. In November of 2018, HHS simply reapproved Kentucky's uh, plan without making any changes. So in last November, these cases wound up back in front of Judge Boesberg. He made the same conclusion. He said these waivers are arbitrary and capricious. He wrote that the Medicaid law does not give states the ability to do anything they want with the Medicaid plan. About a week ago, Judge uh, Boesberg issued a ruling. New Hampshire was the third state that was about to put in uh, a Medicaid work requirement. So about a week ago, Judge Bosworth issued another injunction stopping uh, New Hampshire from imposing its work requirement. He wrote in that case, in short, we have seen this movie before, and it ends in, in uh, an injunction. Is this case, is, is are these issues gone? No. The Trump administration is appealing these issues, right? So uh, Kentucky and Arkansas are being appealed uh, to the D.C. Circuit, and I would look for New Hampshire to be added to that. So the work uh, Medicaid work issue is not going away. Finally, uh, on Medicaid, I I also want to uh, point out that um, many of the states have been putting in restrictions and uh, enrollment requirements or re-enrollment requirements that are pretty tough. And according to data from CMS, in 2018, Medicaid lost 2.2 million people, about 3% of the population. Now, uh, CMS Administrator uh, Verma attributed this decline to the uh, improving economy. As the economy improves, people will transition out of Medicaid. However, a study by Families USA found that Medicaid enrollment declined the most in states that had the most strict enrollment restrictions and eligibility re- uh, redetermination processes like Arkansas, Missouri, and Tennessee. So the wrap-up for Medicaid is 14 states still have not adopted. Uh, two new states did adopt this year. Three states have adopted but not implemented. According to the study from the University of Michigan, Medicaid-eligible people in these states that have not adopted adopted are at a risk. The Trump's partial administration policy has been reversed because the idea is the ACA is void and work requirements are still in play pending the resolution of Judge Bosberg's orders on appeal. And finally, tough Medicaid restrictions such as work requirements, eligibility rules tend to drive out enrollees. Now that we're done with uh, Medicaid, I want to talk about Section 1557, the non-discrimination provisions of the Affordable Care Act. There are two new rules, a proposed rule, and a final rule, which I think will have A significant and detrimental uh, impact on section 1557. So the section uh, 1557 is the non-discrimination provisions of the Affordable Care Act. The law prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, color, national origin, sex, age, or disability in certain health care programs. So we've got these two new rules, one proposed and one final. The proposed rule came out in May. Under this rule, the Trump administration has proposed to end an Obama administration policy that prevents healthcare providers from discriminating against transgender patients or uh, patients based on their gender orientation. Uh, it was The proposed rule was issued May 24th, and it rewrites this regulation and eliminates protections uh, for these folks. The reason why the Trump administration did this is they want to be more consistent with other policies the administration has taken. That is, more consistent in a really crappy way. Uh, they want this policy to be uh, uh, consistent with other policies. For example, the uh, Department of Housing and Urban development has a policy that allows federally funded home center, uh, homeless centers to deny services to dra- transgender people. So, to be consistent, they want it um, to give it to these people across the board. The Obama administration's rule blocked was blocked by a federal judge in 2016, following a lawsuit from religious groups. The Trump administration dra- drafted the new rule to be consistent with that decision. By the way guess which judge issued that decision? Yes, it is our friend Judge Reed O'Connor. So in addition to the proposed rule that came out in May, there is a uh, a new rule, a final rule uh, that was just issued as well. That rule was uh, also issued in May. It was uh, supposed to take effect in July, but HHS delayed the effective date until November uh, due to litigation. This rule is a religious exemption rule. It gives healthcare workers the right to deny care to any patient based on on any religious or moral objection so If you uh, don't want to perform a a certain procedure, if you don't like a certain person for religious or moral reasons, you don't have to treat them. How will these rules work out? The obvious problem with these rules is it cuts out a lot of section 1557 and allows healthcare providers to discriminate based on any number of reasons, if they can uh, attribute it to sexual orientation or, or religious or moral objection. But there's also a technical problem, I think, with these rules. How will these rules interact with mtala, right? under EMTALA, hospitals can't t- turn away patients in need of emergency care, right? But under these, uh, the proposed rule and the final rule, there is no emergency exception. So while the hospital has to treat somebody, it's discrimination under these rules for the hospital to make physicians, nurses, anybody provide care to anybody based on uh, somebody who's transgender, a woman who needs a, 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 a DNC for an emergency basis, anything. They can't make these people treat them. Finally, my favorite uh, topic for today, Diot V. Azar, another decision by Judge O'Connor. This decision has to do with the contraceptive mandate under the ACA. In June, uh, Judge O'Connor issued a permanent injunction granting religious exemptions to two nationwide classes that object to the ACA's contraception mandate. The contraception mandate requires that any ACA-related plans provide access to all FDA-approved contraception without any uh, 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 cost sharing. Diat is the Latest in a number of cases, hitting the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which bars the federal government from burdening somebody's religious freedom against the ACA's contraception mandate. Initially, churches were exempt from this rule, and then there was an accommodation for religious nonprofit employers like hospitals and universities. So long as the people with the accommodation, that is, the nonprofit, uh, uh, uh entities uh raised an objection um they didn't have to provide the contraception but their insurer or their health care uh, health plan administrator did provide the contraception to their employees in 2014 the supreme court extended that accommodation to closely held for-profit corporations in the hobby lobby case however the plaintiff or one of the plaintiffs in Diat, Breitwood management was unsatisfied with with the with the uh accommodation it thought it should have a total objection and it argued that the accommodation process itself caused a violation of, of RIFRA. So Judge O'Connor issued a summary judgment in favor of every current and fir- future employer, employer in the United States that objects, based on its sincerely held relig- religious beliefs, to covering contraception and all current and future individuals in the United States who object to coverage and would be willing to purchase or obtain health insurance that excludes coverage. That is, everybody. Now, what's interesting about this, there's a lot of interesting things at, about this case is eight circuit courts have already looked at this issue although in another context and said that the accommodation does not uh, is not a religious burden including the 5th circuit which in theory is uh, judge O'Connor's boss judge O'Connor found a way the religious nonprofits for example before the 5th circuit uh, one of their arguments was the accommodation process facilitates access to abortion right and the 5th circuit and the other courts said no that's not really what's going on the simple filling out of a form doesn't do that and that is not a religious burden. By contrast, Judge uh, O'Connor bought the argument of the plaintiff that simply filling out the form itself caused the religious burden. Why? Well, in bright uh, in 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 one of the plaintiffs, the, the the employer, the religious burden came from the fact that filling out the form meant that somebody somewhere might get contraception and that might cause extramarital marital uh sexual relations. That was dist- disturbing to him and a substantial burden on that employer. And Judge O'Connor said that is enough. Okay, so let's be clear here. This applies to everyone because the injunction is against the federal officials, uh, uh, HHS, Department of Labor, and IRS. They cannot enforce these rules. And it applies to everyone who makes an exception. So it's really an end run around these eight federal circuit courts, as well as there are, I think, two, one or two district court cases that (coughs) issued an injunction based on regulations that the trump administration issued that essentially tried to do the same thing but because this is framed uh, differently from a procedural perspective and once again this made me sort of um, appreciate much of what i didn't learn in civil procedure in law school this really makes a difference how how this was framed so not only is it a problem with respect to the circuit courts and the other district courts who have said that this isn't a religious burden this case is bizarre and dangerous for a completely different reason judge o'connor has essentially made himself sort of the master insurance regulator of the country, right? The ACA has strict rules in the individual and small group markets for how uh, risk is pooled and how rates are determined. What Judge O'Connor has said is any insurer that wants to offer this coverage to anybody who wants to buy it can do so, and they can rate it and pool these people however they want, aside from the ACA. So in other words, he's creating new pooling and and rating requirements or uh, rules separate and part and in contradiction to specific statutory rules in the ACA. Second, large groups and self-funded plans are exempt from the ACA's requirement if somebody makes an objection. As far as self-funded groups go, there's no state law that covers them. So they're completely covered by this. And the large group rating rules and pooling rules are not affected by Judge uh, O'Connor's rule, but the small group and individual markets are. Now, self-funded groups, if they're covered by ERISA, aren't subject to state law. But large group small group, and individual group are subject to state law. If there's a state law that requires some sort of contraception coverage, they have to abide by that. All right. So it makes a complete mess of nobody knows what they're covered by or when they're, you know, what, what, whether they're going to be covered by this or not. Finally, another uh, really disturbing thing about this is there's no appeal. Who is the defendant in this case? The Trump administration. What did they do? They laid down, right? They simply agreed with the plaintiffs. Now, one state, Nevada, tried to intervene in the case and the uh, judge O'Connor denied their motion to intervene. We're past the appeal period now. So what we have is an unappealable nationwide injunction that covers all of us, that is in contradiction to eight uh, circuit courts and two district courts and s- screws up the rating system. So that's the DIA case. Uh, and those are my topics.
0: And that was the week in health law. A big thank you to Professor Kogan. You can find him on Twitter as at jacogan.com. Junior, J-A-C-O-G-A-N-J-R. Show notes, of course, are at 12.com. I am at Nicholas Terry on Twitter. Thank you for joining me and have a legally interesting, but healthy week.